Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, and then we're going to turn to one other passage here, and then lick your finger and be ready. Uh, we're going to continue tonight on our study about the gospel, and I, I don't know about you, but uh, this has been a blessing to me uh, to teach, uh, to restudy. Uh, there's uh, many things, well, it, there's nothing new under the sun, but it's good to refresh yourself from time to time. And I think many of you, since many of you are newer Christians and some have never been in this type of church before, uh, many of you are seeing the Bible come together like you've never seen it come together before. And that's, that's exciting to me. So, all right, Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 14. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the what? gospel to you that are in Rome also. By the way, 300 and almost 300 years before there ever was a Catholic church. You've got to remember, the Catholic church didn't start till 330 AD under Constantine. So there's no such thing as a Holy Roman church at this time, a Catholic, a Pope, or anything like that. Look, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel of whom? Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we've been talking about the gospel, and in that, I want you to notice that one little line in verse number 16, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, for the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. Now, I'm making a big deal of it because I believe God does. As you read through the New Testament, you're going to see the word gospel used over and over and over and over and over and over again. And by the way, it's not the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Mark or the gospel of Luke or the gospel of John. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of God. It is the gospel that saves us. And that word gospel isn't just good news. It is the news about salvation given to us so that we give it to others. It's more than just a proclamation of good news. It, it's far more than that. Now, uh, last week uh, we talked about, uh, we well, we've talked about uh, that we are all sinners. We've talked about the fact that only Jesus' righteousness is good for us. We've talked about the virgin birth and the importance of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Then the righteousness. Last week we talked about the Jesus the lamb. He died as our lamb. Uh, his death is important, but not just his death, but he died as the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And we went back all the way to Genesis, we went into Exodus, we went into Deuteronomy, we were in the book of Revelation, we were in many other places, and we finished up in Romans chapter 12 talking about Jesus and us and the scapegoat. And oh, what an important truth that is. Tonight, I want you to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've used this verse a time or two already. You're going to be familiar with this passage by the time we're done with our study. But I want to show you something tonight, and I'm going to show you why we're 
going through all these parts of the gospel because it's all said to us right here in Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the what? Gospel, which I preached unto you, which you've also received and wherein you stand, but which also, uh, by which also you are saved. Now notice it is the gospel that Paul preached. It's the gospel that people received. And it's by the gospel that people get saved. Correct? So it's not a matter of church doctrine. It's a matter of salvation. Now, if uh, you keep memory of that I preached unto you, unless, I have believed, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, is all I'm doing is telling you how I got saved. How that Christ died for our sins according to his scriptures. Now, notice the punctuation there. What's the, what's the punctuation after the word scriptures there? It's, it's a semicolon, or, uh, and that means that there's a separate thought, but it's related. Okay, so he's talking about that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he's going to tell us here what it took by scripture for our sins to be taken away for salvation, right? Look at verse number four. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So you have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these four verses, pretty much so the gospel in two or three verses. You have a, 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 I call it a, a capsule of the gospel there. You have Christ, the anointed one, the virgin birthed one, uh, the righteousness, because he paid for our righteousness, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That comprises the gospel. That's why we've gone through the virgin birth. He was robed in flesh that could die. The miracle of the virgin birth is not the virgin. The miracle of the virgin birth is the father. Then the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us at salvation. We are saved by his righteousness, not our own. If we were saved by our own righteousness, Jesus would not have had to come, be born of a virgin, and live here for 33 and a half years. He could have left heaven, gone to Calvary, paid the price, and gone back to heaven the same day. There was righteousness required. Then last week we talked about him as our sacrifice, our lamb of God. Now tonight we're going to cover two things, the death uh, or the burial and the resurrection. The burial and the resurrection. And these are very important. Now let me start by saying this. The death, the burial, and the resurrection are, and don't get mad at me for saying this, I'm going to explain it. They're co-equal. <laughs> I've not told anybody this in our church. Some people have asked. I just smile and just say, it's okay. If you notice, I don't have crosses hanging around. Can I tell you why? That's only one part of the gospel. How come they don't have empty tombs hanging around? There's more to the gospel than just Calvary. Now, Calvary is important. Don't get me wrong. But we have to understand that the death of Jesus is important. But the burial is important, and so is the resurrection. 
And all three are co-equal, and I'm going to show you some things about that tonight. Jesus came not only to live our righteousness, but he had to die and be buried as a man so that he could resurrect. Jesus came in Bethlehem's manger and was robed in flesh. He didn't become man. He's always been the man part of the Godhead. That's why in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God made he him male and female. Jesus has always been the man part of God. Now listen to me. But he had a body that was sinless that could not die. He had to robe himself in the seed of woman in flesh that could die for our sins. It took not only shed blood, but death for the penalty of sin. Everybody understand that? Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. So he shed his blood as the lamb. He was buried and died as man. He's going to resurrect as our high priest. He was the lamb, he was the man, and he was the high priest. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Now, you have to realize the cross is only one-third of that. <laughs> My favorite joke. Aren't, you, aren't our Catholic friends glad that Jesus wasn't stoned to death? Because they'd have to go all the time. Anyway. Not funny, but I thought it was. Uh, I cannot, nor will I say, that one is more important than the other. I refuse to make symbols the importance of the gospel. Now, hang on for a second here. I love the old rugged cross. I love at Calvary. But had Jesus just died, we're all going to die and go to hell. There's more to it. There's far more to it. Matter of fact, listen to this statement. Had Jesus just died, he simply would have been a martyr. Satan could not stop the gospel. God used Satan for Calvary. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just a couple pages over Romans, 1 Corinthians. The very next book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse number uh, 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil is known as the prince and power of the air. His princes are the demons that rule with him. And God used the devil incarnate through Judas to betray him in, other, in order to get to Calvary. I call it the greatest sucker punch in history. It really was. God actually used the devil and his sinfulness 
to crucify him. Now listen to this. This may be why the devil has influenced religion to only focus on the death of Jesus. Most religion focuses on nothing but the death, thus the symbol of the cross. It's only representative of his death. And if you only look at his death, yes, he paid the price as our lamb, but the lamb slain did nothing. Did you know that if the Jews or the Hebrews in Passover only killed the lamb and ate it as they were supposed to, but they did not put the blood on the doorpost that the firstborn would die? It's not the shed blood, it's the applied blood that saves us. I'm going to get to that in a second here, so don't forget that statement. There is more to the gospel than just Calvary. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Those all comprise of the gospel. Now, you have to understand the importance of it, and I really need your attention. I need you paying attention up here. Uh, all three are necessary for the gospel. Now, let's jump into this. Last week, we saw Jesus as the lamb and his death dying for us as our sacrificial lamb to pay the price we could not pay on our own. Tonight, we'll cover the other two. I have 31 or 30 and a half minutes. Here we go. Number two. Or num next. Jesus' death shows him as our lamb. His burial shows us his flesh as a man that could die. His burial shows him in his flesh as a man could die. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse number 40. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. Now, you have to understand something. We're, 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 we're going somewhere real quick here, so bear with me. Look at verse number 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's telling us from all the way back from the book of Jonah, while Jonah was in the whale's belly three days and three nights, Jesus was going to be in the grave three days and three nights. By the way, I'm just going to say it. If you've not heard this sermon, I preached it years ago. You can go online and look at it. Uh, there's no such thing as Good Friday. Jesus was not crucified on a Friday and resurrected on a Sunday. It is absolutely impossible to get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. I preached a whole sermon on it. I showed you how Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday and resurrected on a Sunday. And I went through all the Sabbaths, the holy days, everything that went with that. Showed you scripturally, tons of scripture. It's online. You can look it up. I think it's called the false doctrine of Good Friday or something like that. Uh, but it's impossible to have three days and three nights from Friday evening to Sunday morning. Now, I'm not real smart, but I can count. Just so you know. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> Jesus 
the Bible even tells us how long Jesus was going to be in the grave. Three days, three nights. Uh, by the way, <laughs> Jesus' death and his burial caused a big stir. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. There's some things that happened at his death that people don't often look at. Uh, hang on. Matthew 27, I'm sorry. Did I say 28? It's because I wrote 28 and then it's wrong. Because there's not a verse 62 in chapter 28. Uh, look at Matthew chapter uh, 27. Look at verse number 62. Uh, let's bump back up uh, to verse 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Why? Because he had died. Now watch this. To be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he had rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. So here's a man, fairly wealthy man. He had made his own tomb. He had purchased it. He begged for the body of Jesus. They wrapped it in uh, the appropriate linens, and they put him in the tomb, rolled a huge rock in front of it to seal it. Look at verse 62. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that deceiver say, said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Oh, oh. Command therefore that the, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people he is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Word had gotten around and everybody knew what the scripture said. After three days and three nights, he was going to resurrect. They said, well, let's make sure we're going to guard it. We're going to seal it because maybe they're going to come steal his body. And that's really going to cause a, cause a stir. Everybody knew what was coming. Even the Roman soldiers. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse number 20. Luke twenty four twenty. Verse 19, and he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, a certain woman also of our company made us astonished, which... We were, uh, which were early at the sepulcher, 
And when they found not his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels, which said, unto, uh, which said that he was alive. Ooh, notice that thing, third day. Hmm. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Look at verse number 33. This is at Calvary. Jesus has spent about nine hours on the cross. They're getting ready to take the bodies down before sun, sundown. And the two men that were with him were still alive. So they came and they broke the legs. Breaking somebody's legs is not going to kill you. Here's what you don't understand. In order to breathe nailed to a cross, you have to push your body up to inhale and let your body down to exhale. If your legs are broken, you can't push yourself up and you'll suffocate. Every breath our Savior took for nine hours, he lifted himself and set himself back down for nine hours. It's torturous. Now look at verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Notice the statement, he was dead. Correct? Okay, coming back to that in a minute. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. In other words, they took a spear and they shoved it into his side and out of it came blood and water. What's the importance of the word water there? Your, your heart sits in a water sack. The pericardium. In other words, it was proof that that spear had gone into the actual physical organ of the heart of our Savior. When water and blood both came, it meant that sword pierced his heart. There is absolutely no way he could live. Isn't it amazing how one word changes everything? The water and blood. Now let's keep reading. Uh, verse number 35. And he's, he that saw it bear record. In other words, they, they documented it. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be filled. A bone of him shall not be broken. That goes back to Isaiah 53. We don't have time to turn to Isaiah 53, but Isaiah 53 is a prophetic chapter about Jesus at Calvary, just like Psalm 22 is. Now, verse 37. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Isn't it amazing that thousands of years before that Jesus died, they predicted not only would his bones not be broken, but that he would be pierced in his side. Amazing how it all comes together, isn't it? Verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also, oh, who's this guy? Nicodemus. That's the guy back in John chapter 3. How can I be born again? Huh. 
which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. In other words, they brought all the spices to wrap the body in for embalming. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with spices and a manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new sepulcher where never a man was uh, yet laid. And uh, there they laid Jesus, therefore, of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, I want you to notice something, chapter 20, verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh. Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. The first day of the week. Anybody want to take a guess what the first day of the week is? Sunday. That was three days and three nights from Wednesday. Now, I don't have time to keep going on this, but the burial was proof that Jesus died. Liberals will tell you, well, he didn't die. He just went into a deep swoon. I don't know where they get this stuff, but when somebody sticks a knife in your heart and water and blood comes out, you didn't go to sleep. You died. Plain and simple. You died. Being buried three days and three nights was significant because by Hebrew law, you were not officially dead until three days and three nights had passed. You had to be dead at least three days just in case you came back to life. Now, folks, I'll preach your funeral, but the moment you groan from that casket, I'm out of there. You find somebody else to preach it. I ain't doing it. I've been in enough funeral homes. I've been every part of the funeral home. I've seen the embalming. I've seen it all. I want nothing to do with a dead body moving or talking or breathing. I'm out of there. Okay? Say, preacher, are you afraid? Nope, just smart enough to get out of there. Mm-hmm. It was proof that somebody wasn't accidentally buried alive. Jesus came as the lamb. He was buried as a man. Again, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, both talk about Jesus at Calvary. I'm not going into those. But he had to die and be buried as payment for our sin Because his flesh had to die. Why? Because he was robed in flesh to live the righteousness we were supposed to live. In the very same body of sin that we live in. He accomplished what we do not accomplish. And yet he had to die as a man... To pay our sin debt. Yes, he had to shed his blood, but that required death. That death had to be proven by a burial of three days and three nights. So he came and was crucified as our lamb, but he was buried as a man. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse number 14. Ooh, we got to hurry. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Notice capital W. That's Jesus as the word. Verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Same capital W. When Jesus comes back in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, I believe, or chapter 20, it says, written on his vesture is his name, the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He is the word. He was wrapped in flesh at Bethlehem's manger. He did not become a man. He became flesh. Psalm 1610, I'm going to give you the reference to a couple other verses. We're not going to take time to turn there because I've got tons of others for point number two tonight. Psalm 1610, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You have to understand that the body does not start corrupting, rotting until after the third day. Used to be when a person died, you had calling hours on the second day or third day and then buried them the fourth. Or whatever you want to call calling hours, viewings, uh, they depends what part of the country you wake, uh, all kinds of stuff. You say, why was that? Because you could view the body still and it wasn't totally corrupt. I'll never forget the first dead body I saw. Uh, <laughs> I was in my first church in California. We were going to go see a shut-in. We went in, and the lady had been laying there probably a week. And her son's sitting out in the front room watching TV like nothing's going on. Well, I didn't know that. And we were in a place called Compton, California. Anybody remember, know what Compton's? That's where the Rodney King riots started. All right? It's a wonderful place. Rough. And all of a sudden, you know, the pastor, he's got a police officer for a brother. So all the bad thoughts are going through this guy's mind. We're going to have to sit here a while like we've been having a good visit. I'm thinking I'm sitting in a room with a dead body. It's starting to stink. It gets a little creepy. Then this guy might try to kill us. Or if we call the police from here and they show up, it's going to get pretty ugly. I mean, he had me about three sheets of the wind going, man. We finally left, called the police, and we came back to, he wanted to pretend that we were coming back to bring her something. While we were back there, the police came. My mom's dead. I didn't know she was dead. I'm thinking, buddy, she's already turning things up. I mean, it wasn't good stuff. When's the last time you checked on her? Oh, several days ago. Help us. Now, there was no, not that we know of, there wasn't any foul play, but just, it wasn't real fun. I've smelled dead bodies, trust me. When they start getting rotten, there's nothing as rotten as rotten human flesh. Nothing. Dead deer carcass, it's bad. Human flesh, far worse. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 23 through 28. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Acts chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. All talk about Jesus being buried. Now, Calvary is very important, but it's only 20% of the gospel. The virgin birth, the righteous life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. There's five things involved in the gospel. Calvary is only 20% of it. But they all are related and go together. It's the complete package that's the importance, not one over the other. 
Jesus lived our righteousness in a body that could die and that needed to die because he was our lamb that shed his blood for us, but he must also do something with that blood or his death is in vain. So that brings me to the last point. I've got 13 minutes. Let's hurry. Number three. Lastly, we have the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 11. Now I want you to notice some words here. I'm going to stop and define as we read. But if the Spirit, capital S or small s, okay, then that's in reference to the what? Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. Now when a person gets saved... Who indwells us? The Holy Spirit. Now watch this. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. The word quicken there means bring to life. You cut your fingernail all the way back to the quick, it hurts, doesn't it? Why? Because that's where everything starts living. Past the end of your finger, past that root, it ain't living. But once it gets back to where there's life, that's the quick. And God uses the term quicken. Uh, That word quicken doesn't mean to make fast. It means to bring it to life. And he said that the Holy Spirit, verse number 11, the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or kill or cause to die the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that, you suffer, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He said, look, don't worry about how you suffer down here. The glory coming is a whole lot better than the suffering you're going to face now. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit resurrecting the body of Jesus Christ, putting life back into him. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Go back to Acts chapter 1 and turn back two or three pages and you're there. John chapter 20, look at verse number 9. John chapter 20, verse number 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus, notice the next word, had lain. And there, uh, and they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. 
Jesus saith unto him, uh, unto her woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if uh, thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. In other words, she didn't know who he was, but as soon as he called her name, he knew that she knew that that voice. Uh, y'all know, you know, every woman in the world could be in Walmart. Mommy! And there's only one head going to turn because they know the voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. Key statement. For I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. That's that Sunday. Notice it's evening. Now. Not only did he die by shedding his blood as our lamb, he was buried as a man, robed in flesh, but he also resurrected. But he came up out of the grave as our high priest. The statement, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You don't hear many things said about that. Let me explain it to you. We won't take time to turn there, but in the book of Exodus, it talks about once a year at Passover time, the high priest would take a, a sacrifice. They would pet it up for a certain amount of days, make sure it was perfect, no broken teeth, no broken bones, just like our Savior, no scars. It had to be a perfect lamb. They would cut that, that lamb's throat and sacrifice that lamb and catch the blood in the bowl of a basin. That high priest would wash in the laver at the tabernacle or the temple. He would cleanse himself from top to bottom, take that sacrifice. He would walk through the congregation. He would walk into the holy place. On the right hand, the table of showbread. On the left, you had the candlestick with the 12 candles on it. And before him was the veil in the temple with the altar of incense. As a representation of the prayers of the saints going up eternally before God. Now watch this. One time a year, the high priest and the high priest only was allowed to go under that veil into a little room called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was a box, a little bit bigger than the size of our Lord's Supper table. Inside of it, it had the tables of stone with the law and things written on it with the finger of God. It had a golden pot of manna preserved from the wilderness and Aaron's rod that had budded as a picture of the resurrection, inside that box. On top of that box, there was a chair, a seat. It's called the mercy seat. On one side, you had a cherubim. On the other side, you had a cherubim. Six wings, two in, two out, two up. And they faced each other in that chair. And the, the high priest, one time a year only, was allowed to go in with that sacrifice, the hyssop weed in one hand, and he was to take that weed, stick it in the blood, sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat, 
And one time a year, the Shekinah glory of God would come down and fill that holy of holies, signifying the salvation of people for another year. The high priest would then come out and say, it is finished. Where did you hear that before? He, 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 he. Here's the thing. The high priest wore bells on the bottom of his garments, and if he did anything wrong, God would kill him. It had to be done exact. If he, from the time he washed at the laver until he got to the sacrifice and put the blood on the, on the mercy seat, if any human hand touched him, he had to start the process all over again. Because if he went in there being touched by sinful flesh, God would kill him. <laughs> That's why when Jesus was in the garden sweating great drops of blood, he said, Father, uh, I feel like I'm about to die. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He wasn't afraid to die. He was ready to die. He just didn't want to die before he got to Calvary because he didn't want to start the whole process all over again. <laughs> when Jesus resurrected... Mary, Rabboni, and she leaped to go hug him, and he said, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. I'm about to shout. He said, you go tell my brethren, I'm coming back. I'll meet you in the upper room this evening. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to take my blood, and I'm going into, according to the book of Hebrews, into the holy of holies in heaven to the pattern that was showed Moses in the mount, and I'm going to take my hands and my side, and I'm going to put my blood on the mercy seat for the redemption of man for eternity. It is a one-time price paid for eternity. Don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. He died as our lamb. He was buried as a man, but he resurrected as our high priest. Whew, that ought to make you a shout. Luke chapter 24, verses 6 through 11. Turn to Romans chapter 14, verse number 9. Romans chapter 14, verse number 9. Whew. Folks, I'm just getting started. Romans chapter 14, verse number 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. Isn't that amazing? We won't turn to 2 Corinthians 5.15, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 through 18, talking about the rapture. John chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. You have to understand something. Jesus' resurrection was him becoming our high priest. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 27. Something happened at Calvary as a sign of this. Not only did Jesus say, it is finished, but Matthew chapter 27, look at verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. 
What was that? Only one time a year was one person allowed into the Holy of Holies under the veil. When Jesus died, God ripped the veil open from top to bottom. That veil was over seven inches thick of woven material. You could take a team of horses on both sides of it and pull it and not pull it apart. God caused that veil to be rent because Jesus was our high priest and there is no need for a high priest because Jesus fulfilled it. Now keep going, watch this. Verse 52. And the graves, plural, were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. When Jesus died, the, the people who had died who were Christians, the Bible says that the graves opened and they sat up in their graves. Now, folks, if you went by Rosedale Cemetery and there's a bunch of bodies sitting up stand, or standing up looking at you, that's going to be a spectacle. Amen, Miss, Miss Loretta? You're down there giving flowers to Brother Jimbo and he sits up. I imagine things are going to get a little ugly. Now watch this, verse 53. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done. What things? The dead people sitting up. They feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of God. No Kidding. You have to understand something. The resurrection was proven by many people. It wasn't just hearsay. And when he resurrected, when he died, those bodies sat up when the veil was rent because he was coming back up as our high priest because he had to put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. But that resurrection was signified also by dead bodies so that he wasn't by himself. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not going to read all of these. I'll, I'll list a bunch of them for you here in a moment. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse number 13. Uh, verse 12. Now if Christ uh, be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we, uh, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he had raised not up, if so be that, he, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is uh, not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, yet uh, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Wow. Skip down uh, all the way to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, death, and raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. 
It is sown in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made quickening, a quickening spirit. That's in reference to Jesus. Howbeit that was not first, uh, which was, is spiritual, but which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven, and is earthly, such as they also that are earthly, and as in heavenly, such as those that are heavenly. In other words, he had both bodies. And I, I could keep reading, I'm not going to. Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 7. Hebrews chapter 7. You could look at Hebrews chapter 5 later, verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to touch it right now. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. But Hebrews chapter 7, let me read several verses here and then chapter 8, and then uh, we'll shut it down. I'll crash land real fast, all right? Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we are drawn nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made, what? Priest. For those priests which were made with an oath, but this is uh, with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Wow. Now, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to also save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth and maketh intercession for them. For such an high priest became us. He became us? Yes, he put on flesh like us. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated uh, from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. Uh, for this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have an infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son, capital S, Jesus, who is consecrated forevermore. Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of a necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to law, who serve unto the example a shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. 
But now he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also is he a mediator of a better covenant which was established upon a better promise. The book of Hebrews shows him as our high priest. We didn't read Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. But turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I'll read five verses and I'm done. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse number 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as high priests entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once. In the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, notice he was a man, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He not only was virgin born, He not only lived our righteousness, he not only died at Calvary shedding his blood as our lamb, he not only was buried as a man in his flesh, but he also resurrected as our high priest to put the blood on the mercy seat in heaven, and one day when we get there, we will get to see the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. When churches start taking the blood away from salvation and from the songbooks and and the preaching, they're taking away from the gospel. So much needs to be said. I don't have time. What's the big deal, preacher? Well, when a man like John MacArthur in California can get up and say, well, the blood of Jesus just trickled to the foot of the cross. It wasn't important. It was just his death. He's a heretic. Say, I don't think you ought to call names. Then don't do it, but I will. Anybody that tells you the blood of Jesus isn't important is a heretic, according to the scripture. He's wrong on the gospel. (laughs) No crosses, preacher? No, because that's only 20% of it. You're missing 80%. The gospel, five things. Virgin birth, righteousness of Christ, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what the gospel is all about. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I went over. Sorry. Thank you for not setting your alarms. We have a lot to be thankful for. Maybe we just ought to thank God for our salvation. 